Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around DFW. I'm your host this week, JT of 100.3 Jack FM. Thank you for joining me. Later on this hour, my big brother, Chris Arnold, will spend some time with the Association for the Advancement of Mexican Americans. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary of helping people throughout Texas. But first, one of the great reminders that the holiday season is upon us is the amazing work that the Salvation Army does throughout North Texas. Joining us now is Major Bethany Hawks of the Salvation Army. Major Bethany, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Tell us about your role within the Salvation Army and how you got there. Yes, my husband and I um, transferred here from Charlotte, North Carolina in June. So in the midst of COVID, um, we moved to North Texas. And um, within the Salvation Army, um, we travel and um, are moved to where the need is. But you've been with the organization a really long time now, right? Yes, yes. On some level, I began uh, actually as a lifeguard working at a summer camp to um, going to two-year seminary and being an ordained pastor for the Salvation Army. That's fantastic. And so you two have this, uh, this sort of Salvation Army romance, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. So my husband and I met um, at a disaster conference, and both of us um, were officers, and um, we've been married for 15 years now, and um, it's part of the mission, and we serve together. So I guess it's safe to say that um, the the mission of the Salvation Army is uh, something that has bonded you two. Yes, definitely. Um, It has impacted and changed our lives on so many levels. And um, our calling is what we call it, um, into the Salvation Army. And we were both um, just knew that the mission of the Salvation Army, serving others, is where we wanted to be. Well, speaking of the mission, you know, I think... You are probably one of, if not the uh, most recognizable brands in the area that is the Salvation Army, especially around the holidays, but by the off chance that someone listening is not fully aware of everything the organization does, uh, tell us about that mission with the Salvation Army um, and how you're involved here in North Texas. Here in North Texas, Um, We have the iconic kettle. We do the Angel Tree program um, where we serve about 50,000 children. So Christmas morning, children will run downstairs and through the generosity of North Texans will receive Christmas gifts. Uh, So those are two of the main things that we do. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone recognizes the red kettles, especially out front of grocery stores, a lot of times uh, accompanied by a Santa Claus. And of course, now everyone definitely knows it from Zeke Elliott jumping into the red kettle on the sidelines uh, after his touchdown for the Cowboys, right? 
Yes, of course. What a great piece of marketing. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> that was probably worth more than uh, any amount of advertising the uh, the organization ever paid for, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, it is such a unique time, um, and I know many of us get into the giving spirit around the holidays. Personally, when I grew up, every year my family was involved in uh, the angel tree um, uh, uh, giving portion of this. Um, but this year, of course, very unique because it's 2020 and we are dealing with the ongoing effects of COVID-19. Um, and the Salvation Army has done so much already this year. And so I kind of like to go through some of those things and, and have you elaborate on on what that's been like and uh, what you've seen and, and how um, we can get involved to help moving forward. So let's just start with over 400,000 meals served just this year so far. Um, how has the events of tw- how have the events of 2020 um, impacted the need for food for families in the area? Since the beginning of March, the Salvation Army um, has really kind of had to evolve its services so that we can meet human needs in a safe environment. Uh, we have, through that, we've distributed over 156,000 bags of groceries in our 13 drive through food pantries that are located in all five North Texas counties. Wow, that's amazing. And um, what have you noticed in terms of the need uh, across North Texas, you know, I, I hate for it to be, um, you know, a downer, but this is kind of the, the reality there. There are more families needing assistance right now, aren't there? Yes. North Texans are preparing to face one of the hardest holidays ever as they continue, as we continue to see families seeking assistance for the very first time. And we expect an increase in request. Six, 1,800 North Texans were, were already experiencing homelessness, and two, 216,000 more were at risk of being homeless prior to the pandemic. And we know the number has grown. Uh, we've seen the economic impact that the pandemic has had on all of us. And based on the increased services we've already provided this year due to COVID, we could serve thousands more North Texans this year with Christmas assistance, assuming the resources are available. And one of the things that, um, that we're, we're trying to do is to help prevent people from being homeless. Uh, we've given over a million dollars in a fi- uh, financial assistance to help families stay in place. Um, for their rent and their utilities. Wow, that's so amazing. But the numbers are staggering. Uh, you mentioned 150, over 156,000 bags of groceries at the 13 drive through food pantry locations. Uh, tell us about those locations and how if someone listening uh, would like to get involved helping to provide uh, assistance when it comes to food for families, how they can do that. Yes, um, the drive-through food pantries, it's similar to like the regular food pantries that we were giving food out in, but um, they drive through and you can 
volunteer if you go to SalvationArmyNorthTexas.org. That is our website, and it kind of gives you opportunities to volunteer year-round as well as during the Christmas season. And I noticed that more than a million dollars in financial assistance um, has been provided from the Salvation Army to individuals and families to help pay for things like rent and utilities. Of course, people are all of a sudden many people and families who were never expecting to have to need assistance with that. So um, uh, donating uh, cash is, is also helpful, right? Yes. And you can yes. obviously do that at the Red Kettle, or you can now do that digitally, right? You can. You can actually have your own virtual Red Kettle if you go to virtualredkettleNTX.org. And um, we're seeing people be in competition. Maybe it's family member against family member, or it's um, a workplace against another workplace. And um, you can have a healthy competition of who can raise the most money in your virtual kettle. So it gives you the opportunity to be sitting on your couch and to also um, be raising funds for our much-needed monies this year. Well, I think that's fantastic, too, because for me personally, uh, giving back is something that I know selfishly, it, it makes me feel better. It, it gets me out of my own head and my own stuff. So I like to do it, especially around the holidays. And for me, it's always been most effective uh, to, to do that in person. Obviously, as the needs increase, so do the boundaries from what we can do because it's just so much harder to do things in person. So for someone like me who is used to you know, getting out there and, um, you know, maybe be involved on Thanksgiving Day, helping serve meals. Um, there's less of the in-person stuff going on now. So I think those digital opportunities are, um, are really pivotal this year, aren't they? Yes. We've made it easier for donors to give digitally through Apple Pay and Google Pay at our Red Kettle sites. Um, and then, of course, the virtual <clears throat> Red Kettle and then if you're wanting to volunteer to ring, um, it's done very safely, social distance, and we followed all the guidelines. So um, we'll make sure that everyone is masked up and gloved and ready. And um, you can also volunteer by going to SalvationArmyNorthTexas.org for that. Yeah, and to clarify, that means if uh, where you usually see these red kettles, you hear the, the bell ringing when you're walking up to the mall or the grocery store, um, on those sites, instead of have, you know actually dropping something in with your hand, you can give digitally um, at those locations. Am I correct on that? Yes, through okay. Apple Pay and Google Pay. Absolutely. Um, okay, so last year, the red kettles alone raised nearly $2 million here just in North Texas. Um, that's a lot, and a lot has been raised already this year. However, there are more limitations this year, right? So it's we're actually expecting it to be more difficult um, to get to those numbers. Yes. Um, this year, we anticipate fewer stores to place red kettles, fewer customers, carrying cash, and less foot traffic at the stores. 
which all means that we'll have to find the new ways to raise the much needed revenue. And then also this past year, because of COVID, we had to cancel our fundraising events, and um, which normally um, our funds are, are raised through that, um, more than half of our total annual revenue is raised through October and December. And wow. this is the funds that we depend on to serve North Texas throughout the whole year. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, if you are, are listening carefully, um, I'll, I'll try to break it down even more concise if I can. Um, because, you know, I'm kind of slow myself. So, you know, I need <laughs> I need extra special attention. Uh, that means that this year you can go ahead and assume um, any reasonable person that there is more need this year because of the effects of COVID-19 and the economy. But with more need, there is also less opportunity because people are less out and about because physical events cannot be held, have had to been canceled. So more need, less opportunity. That means if you can spread the word to your friends and family, give them a call, give them a text, share these links on social media, virtualredkettlentx.org, salvationarmynorthtexas.org. Every single time you do something like that is just helping to just get back to baseline this year, right? Yes, yes. And we also have, um, I looked, looked into our system today, and we still have over 10,000 angels left to be adopted and returned by December 5th. Okay, so yeah, thank you. That's a great segue. Let's talk about the Angel Tree program. I have great memories of being involved. When I was a kid, it was always a tradition uh, with my mom and my sister that we would go and we'd pick our angel and go pick out. Uh, the gift together um, and give it for for someone who may not know about the Angel Tree program. Uh, could you explain it for everyone? Yes, yes. Angel Tree um, families who are in need come in in September and register for the Angel Tree, and each angel represents a child that is in need for Christmas. And I have to tell you a story. I and my husband, actually, were both Angel Tree kids. Um, I didn't know it until much later, until I was going to seminary. But my mom told me that um, there was a Christmas that I um, received a gift. And, and it's interesting. I remember that doll because I have blue eyes and brown hair and that was the first doll I had ever received that had blue eyes and brown hair. And um, it impacted me. And I know what, how special Christmas morning is for children. And running down the stairs Christmas morning and receiving those gifts from our community, it's huge. It can impact a child's life. I was a life that was impacted through the Angel Tree program. And um, and as a family, um, I have three kids, my husband and I, we have three kids of our own, and we adopt um, an angel for each of their ages. And uh, so we're looking forward to this weekend going shopping and um, purchasing gifts for 
are angels. And on the list would be clothing items. There's usually a need and then a want. And so to provide those things to help families, you know, if we pro help provide Christmas, then they may be able to um, pay for their utilities. They may be able to put food on the table if the other things are um, are helped out through generous donors of North Texans. Yeah, it would it would just be so you know, sad if families had to make that choice and many are going to have to make that tough choice of giving one gift for their child to be able, being able to pay a bill this year. But um, yeah. that's where we are more than ever. I think it's so amazing how the Salvation Army has touched your life, your husband's life, uh, your your children's life, um, basically through every step of life. Um, makes me so happy to know that you two are the people representing our community through these programs. Again, the Angel Tree program, I have such fond memories uh, of being involved with that um, as a kid. It, uh, it's, it's a great um, uh, teaching mechanism. I, I know I learned so much from it growing yeah. up uh, beyond just being um, you know, great to, to give to those in need. But again, as we spoke about with the funds and the food and the red kettle, there's more need this year there are less opportunities. So if you just think about it, you know, there, there's probably going to be less people passing by one of those trees and um, in a physical location. So it's more important than ever to go to SalvationArmyNorthTexas.org uh, to adopt an angel this holiday season. Um, and when you do that, share the link, tell your friends and family that you've done it um, and how much it would impact a child and a family in need this year. Um, for others to get involved. And like you said, you can make it a friendly uh, competition. Uh, like with the, the red kettle, you can challenge yourself um, and friends to see how many people you can, uh, in your circle, you can get to adopt an angel. Um, it's going to pay off this year more than ever. Yes, we need your help. It'll take everyone to help rescue Christmas for, the, for our most vulnerable neighbors. Um, and every donation provides help and hope to North Texans in need. And if you are in need, or if you need assistance or are able to help, just visit our website at SalvationArmyNorthTexas.org. Major Bethany, you have been, as you just explained to us, you, your husband, your whole family have been involved in the Salvation Army for basically your whole lives. And it's your life's work. You are uh, are really bonded with the mission. Can you tell us um, some examples, some stories that come to mind um, that are that are really stick out to you throughout those experiences of you getting to see the mission of the Salvation Army take hold specifically in other families, uh, children, people's lives across uh, our communities. Yes, um, it's it's amazing the impact that the Salvation Army has had on me as I've seen lives transformed. I've seen, I think of our men that are in our a ARC shelters, our adult rehabilitation centers, and I think of them and how they come to us broken people. And through the help of the Salvation Army, 
they become whole. Their lives are changed forever, and they're reunited with their families. And when they're reunited with their families, it um, changes generational um, problems with alcoholism. It changes um, generational problems with poverty even. And so when I think of our men at our adult rehabilitation centers and I think of our youth who are in our Salvation Army Boys and Girls Clubs or after school programs where they are being mentored, where they have people who are speaking into their lives and making an impact on a daily basis. And I think of their success stories as they've finished school and then gone off to college and been mentored through college. And when they come back, they say, it's because of the Salvation Army, I am where I am today. And um, we have lots of we have lots of sports people who have got their start in one of our Salvation Army Boys and Girls Clubs. And we see the impact that they continue to make in the lives of others, of being mentors to other generations of youth. I think of um, children who I had a awesome opportunity, my husband and I, of taking children who were in our homeless shelter and bringing them to Washington, D.C., and to be able to be in the Capitol and to speak to their senators and to be able to make an impact for homelessness in this world that we live in. And I think of our children who who we physically have children who are born in our shelters, and we have seniors who live in our senior high-rises who, um, you know, their last breaths are taking there. And so we, we reach people from, from the beginning of life to the end of life, and hopefully, you know, we're bringing hope. We're bringing life, and we're we're helping draw people to um, to a knowledge of who they are and um, just a spiritual knowledge of that hope as well. Speaking of which, I see here it says the Salvation Army has given spiritual support to 75,000 individuals uh, this year. What does that mean? Um, since COVID, so as people are driving through to the food in the food pantry line, people are asking for prayer. People are asking for Bibles, and we're passing out Bibles. People are asking for anything. You know, I think through COVID, no matter the age of the person I've talked to, they've missed connection with people. And for many, we are the connection. We are the people that they are seeing on a regular basis if they're driving through our food pantry or if they're living in our shelters. You know, we house approximately 1,300 people every night throughout North Texas. And if, if you're living within our shelters, you know, we're, we're making connection with you. We're looking, we're not just meeting your physical needs, we're meeting your emotional needs as well as your spiritual needs. 
Yeah, you mentioned um, there the, the uh, athletes that have uh, gotten their start in Salvation Army Boys and Girls Clubs. How amazing is it to have a partnership like with the Dallas Cowboys? I mean, just one of the largest stages on the face of the planet. Uh, we joked about the Zeke Elliott thing earlier, which I'm sure you get to you just love getting to talk about that all the time. But um, uh, tell us about um, what getting that sort of um, exposure uh, means for the organization. Well, it's very impactful. Um, you know, this is my first time living in, in Texas and let alone in Dallas. And um, I've always been a fan of Dallas because of the support that it gives to the Salvation Army. Um, It's really helped people um, be more aware of what we do day in and day out. And it's really helped with our just name recognition and to, um, to have that backing. And, you know, with the backing of the Cowboys, um, it's their love of the Salvation Army that they um, they give back. And whether it be to help in our distribution at Christmas or to help in our Thanksgiving food lines last week, um, the Cowboys are there. And I am so looking forward to just learning more about that partnership um, as I am new to Dallas myself. Well, I'm sure it'll be on display plenty um, over the next uh, few weeks as we go through the holiday season. Um, We've talked a lot about the specific needs um, through the holidays, through the Red Kettle, through the Angel Tree program. What are some of the other things? And they can even be things that, you know, may or may not be on the docket for 2021. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, we've, we're looking forward into the unknown a little bit. But what are some of the other ways to get involved with the Salvation Army um, that may come up at, once we get past the holidays? Yes, we are needing volunteers year-round, um, really, to continue those um, 13 drive through food pantries. We need people to help pack boxes the night before, the day before, as well as to hand them out the, the day of um, each week. We're needing volunteers to help within our youth programs. Some of those have started back up, and um, we're needing help there. We're needing help. Um, just on so many levels, whether it be donating your clothes to the Salvation Army um, family stores, thrift stores, uh, and your goods, your furniture to them. Uh, And tell us some more about some of those youth programs. Yes. um, In Dallas, in in um, Arlington, we have our youth education town. Uh, we have boys and girls club programs, after school programming. Um, we had some of our locations when schools were not in sight were actually um, helping with families so that they could go stay in work. And we were doing some of the virtual learning within our facilities. Well, 
uh, Major Bethany, I just want to make sure there's there's so much um, going on here and so much need um, over the next several weeks through the holidays that I, I want to make sure everyone um, hears it and uh, understands the opportunity in front of us um, to try to just get back to, to base level on a, on a few of these things um, for an organization that's already done so much this year, but there's so much expectation uh, of what the organization will provide every holiday season. So this is just since the start of the pandemic. Um, the Salvation Army has served more than 400,000 meals, provided more than a million dollars in financial assistance. That's for uh, individuals and families to pay their rent and utilities. More than 100,000 nights of shelter. Uh, more than 150,000 bags of groceries at, as you heard, Major Bethany uh, speak on the 13 drive through food pantry locations, which they are always needing help and volunteers involved with. Um, and as she just spoke about, giving spiritual support to 75,000 individuals. Um, there is so much. Uh, the virtual red kettle. Um, once again, that link is virtualredkettlentx.org. Um, and of course, you can give when you see the red kettle um, as you're walking into a store, walking around town. Uh, you can do that physically or you can do it digitally when you're at the location. Or again, you can visit virtualredkettlentx.org. And of course, you can go to salvationarmynorthtexas.org for all of these things, including... Uh, what's coming up for the Christmas season, the Angel Tree Program, which you heard her speak on there. Major Bethany, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for you and your family's service. hope this is uh, the beginning of a, a very long relationship. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. And now with more Better Living, here's Chris Arnold. Thanks, JT. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold of 105 Free the Fan, and we're happy to be joined by Debbie Ortiz, Chief Development Officer at the Association of Mexican-Americans, who just this past week celebrated their 50th anniversary. Hey, Debbie, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much. Tell me a little bit about the AAMA story in Texas. How did it get started, and how did it get to where it is today? Yes, it has been 50 years in the making, (laughs) and we actually pronounce it AMA. Ah, Um, nice. And that stands for the Association for the Advancement of Mexican-Americans. When it was started in 1970, uh, there was a group of concerned business people on the east end of Houston. Uh, At that time, they were losing a lot of our youth uh, to gangs and violence. And, you know, kids were dropping out of school. They were using drugs. And uh, the community leaders were concerned so they banded together, and they started trying to help, you know, these kids. Initially, it started with educating them, but they realized that one of the big issues was the substance use. So really, the cornerstone of the organization has been our prevention, treatment, and counseling services for people who have substance use disorders. Uh, so we help, you know, if they have addictions. And then we also, um, in 1995, so 25 years ago, mm-hmm. were chartered as one of the first Texas charter schools in Texas, and we have been operating that charter school. So we help kids graduate from high school and position them, you know, to go on with life. 
It's very impressive. Uh, your nonprofit serves over, what, 10,000 individuals annually across Texas with the charter schools, the counseling services, adult education, and other community services? That's right. Not only in Houston, but also in San Antonio and Laredo, where we have um, a methadone clinic, and they just expanded to include outpatient services and other counseling uh, services for families as well. So this year marks a very special anniversary for AMA. How are you all celebrating the 50th anniversary of this organization? Well, we actually, uh, on November 23rd, so Mm -hmm. just, you know, a couple of days ago, celebrated the actual date that our organization was incorporated. And we have been celebrating, if you will, all year, like doing uh, mostly a digital campaign, obviously, because when we uh, planned, we weren't expecting a pandemic to hit. You know, that kind of curtailed our face-to-face activities. In fact, our biggest annual uh, fundraising event, it's our signature event, uh, is the gala, and that is typically held in October. So we were planning to have a big celebration event at the George R. Brown, but we've had to postpone it uh, because we just wanted to do it justice. We are celebrating you know, the legacy of AMA. We have two of our founding board members who um, are still alive, and we're honoring them. And uh, one of them, uh, the, his daughters, two daughters, are our gala co-chairs. So we have, You're talking about um, Mr. Hernandez and Mr. Lorenzo? That's, that's right. Lorenzo and also his um, Minkfa Lorenzo was also one of the first board members. And, um, you know, there's several others. So the two Hernandez sisters mm-hmm. are, are very involved with our organization, and we have decided to, to push toward this coming October in the hope that things will have leveled out, you know, hopefully vaccines will be available, and we'll actually be able to celebrate the way we've been accustomed to and, and really do it justice, because we've been doing the scala for about 17 years. And it's very um, anticipated. I know people are going to be ready to right. get out by then. <laughs> right. Now, I know there's uh, this year because of the pandemic, a lot of people have been doing things virtually. Have you been doing a lot of Zoom presentations or getting together with people virtually? Or I know there's been a lot of mask wearing and maybe people doing drive ups and, and taking care of people that way. Is that part of the, what's been going on for you guys over the last few months? Very much since March, really. Um, mm-hmm. The you know, we had to close down the school over spring break, and we immediately, um, as everyone likes to say, pivoted uh, so that we could begin offering online classes. And we've had many challenges since, of course, this wasn't anticipated or budgeted. So the first challenge was that most of our families, our students, did not have computers. They were trying to do right. their online classes with their smartphones. So we've had several campaigns in the community uh, and many, you know, organizations and and foundations have been generous. And we've had four waves of purchasing um, laptops for our students. Not only it started, uh, we were concentrating on this, the senior high school, and then we have now, you know, gone back and have given computers to all of the middle schoolers. And now we successfully have our adult education uh, students up and running as well, and it's going extremely well. <clears throat> we actually never quit having um, our, you know, AA-type meetings for those 
who uh, really needed our support. We were still having face-to-face and even in-person, you know, sessions, but we have been offering Zoom meetings, which has proven to be very helpful, too. So, yes, I would say we are just thoroughly enmeshed in <laughs> in Zoom yeah. and Teams and everything else, which, you know, I always think it was very difficult, and we did it very quickly. We were forced to do it. It was something we had talked about, you know, doing but now that we have, we see the benefits because we really are able to reach a lot of our clients and our students who um, most of our students work, you know, to help support their families. So they have now the, uh, the flexibility of being able to do those classes whenever they can around the work that they're continuing to do. So that's been one of the, I, w- I would say, a godsend in a sense. Um, yeah. We've been able to to really move forward, and it's because we were pretty fearless, I would say, and determined um, initially that we weren't going to lose those students uh, because they really need our support. That is fantastic. In fact, I'm glad you were focusing on the positives because, again, um, this has been a trying year, and it's all about finding solutions to possible problems. You mentioned the... um, the, the laptops availability, because a lot of people don't really understand that there are so many um, kids who are not in, you know, like suburban lifestyles where mm-hmm. they don't have the access to great Wi-Fi, let alone the laptops. And now if you're going to keep up with your education, it's all about virtual learning. Yes. And, you know, one of the things we also realized, not only the laptops, but of course the internet connectivity. So that yes. was another challenge. And the parents, um, because they, you know, typically are working all hours, uh, they're not necessarily able to use computers to provide the type of support. So we really had to ramp up our counseling services to support the students, and we even added an IT uh, teacher so that he could show them how to use the computer and how to access, you know, all the programs, logging in, simple things. I mean, they, they really did not have the keyboard uh, skills that they needed. So we have been focusing on that for the last, well, since school resumed in August uh, virtually. And now in November, the students are coming on campus. It's what they call a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. So we have students, you know, at like, it's not even 50% capacity. It's about 25% different teams on Monday, Wednesday, A team, and then B team on Tuesday, Thursday. So they're coming onto the campus, um, but it's a very controlled environment, you know, which has also right. been extremely difficult um, to to help the, the parents and the students realize that it wasn't going to be business as usual when they came back to the school, that they have to, um, you know, they have their the little shields around the desks. Mm-hmm. They they stay in the classroom. They don't um, it mingle in the hallways. Um, the food that you know normally they would have eaten in the cafeteria, they it is brought to them, uh, and they're only on campus for four hours at a time. Those two teams, and then the rest of their um, homework is done at home remotely. You mentioned them learning all about the laptops and getting uh, used to the Wi-Fi and whatnot. I don't know about you, Debbie, but I have found that with my kids, they are smarter than their parents when it comes to tech. They're like tech support. They're showing us what to do. They that gather is, the information so quickly. Yes, that is very true. They Even little children, yes. three-year-olds. We, we also have an early childhood uh, center, and we um, – 
we provide child care for our high school students who have had babies. Mm-hmm. So from the from the time they're six weeks until they're pre-K three and four, they also can come to the school. And I've just been amazed to see the little three and four year olds how quickly they have picked it up. The biggest challenge with them again was if you have several kids in the uh, family, as you, you may yourself, mm-hmm. um, just you know being able to, for all of them to have access to a computer and that internet connectivity when they need it. Um, there's a lot of uh, challenges around that, but I think we've we've done really an incredible job of, of providing the support, and I think it's because we have always provided what we call wraparound services. If you know, if we couldn't do something, or if they needed whatever, like um, about 50 of our kids are homeless, and mm-hmm. even though we don't provide housing, you know, we have really 300 partners that we work with to point them in whatever direction they need to go. And as you had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, wearing masks and uh, even as early as March, we were doing food distribution and it was drive through. So we're doing a lot of uh, innovative things like that. The students just recently had a car parade where they decorated their cars and, you know, just trying to add a little fun to the high school kids and, and middle schoolers. That's what it's all about. You got to mix it all in so that everybody feels upbeat about it and not like, oh, this is a challenge and this is a struggle. Speaking of being accessible and doing all the little things, have you guys been able to have access or have people provide for you PPE, things like hand sanitizers and masks for all your your students and adult educators? Well, we have... um purchased a lot of that Mm -hmm. and again you know it's a challenging year with fundraising because we are trying to make up for about a five hundred thousand dollar deficit but we have had several companies who reached out to us and provided masks not only companies but also um, legislators you know like our um, are the people that are in uh, congressmen city council people for our districts have helped to point some of that our way, as well as our Houston mayor is very supportive and our, you know, our Harris County judge, they've all been very attentive to the needs of the community. And we're in one of the, really the most challenged areas um, Mm -hmm. because the people are already living in disadvantaged um, conditions even before the pandemic. And so they have just needed more support and we have been able to provide um, quite a bit, even though, you know, there's still families who are hungry and we're still providing food for them. We're talking with Debbie Ortiz, Chief Development Officer at the Association of Mexican Americans, AMA. And again, you guys are celebrating your 50th anniversary this week. Can you talk again about some of the major accomplishments of AMA over its first five decades, things that everyone's proud about? Oh, thank you. I I love that question. Well, I mentioned that we have a charter school. We actually opened our second charter school five years ago. And so that one, we're primarily located on the east end, like southeast Houston. But that one was opened on the northeast end um, in what's called Aldine in uh, the Houston area. And it started with just sixth graders. And every year they have added a different grade. So this year they're up to 11th grade and they will soon you know, be a full middle and high school as well. That and then the early childhood that we added about 15 years ago to help 
kids, you know, as I mentioned, there's a lot of reasons why kids drop out of school. You know, maybe they got involved in a gang mm-hmm. or they began using drugs. They may have been, you know, kicked out of the house because it got so bad. Um, a girl may have gotten pregnant. And these are kids who have not been successful in a traditional school setting for all of those reasons. You know, no one was there to help them. They just um, suspended them. So we've been able to bring them in and we meet them wherever they are and help them to to get back on the path that they want to be on and provide those supports. So that has been um, just really the hallmark of the the organization throughout the 50 years. Uh, But we made another advancement only three years ago. We piloted a program for what we call disconnected youth. It's the kids who are between 16 and 24 who, you know, may have graduated from high school or they may have gotten a GED, but they have not really gotten on a firm footing for their career. We recognized that problem because we had a number of focus groups, you know, and we were checking in with what happened to the, we still call them kids, they're young adults. Um, And we opened a work and learn center so that we can help them. They actually get paid because one of the challenges, as I mentioned, you know, they they all have to work. So while they're taking this um, class where they learn how to write a resume, how to present themselves, uh, they can also get paid. And then we support them. We actually have a work enterprise that the first one that we started is graphic design. So they're learning those skills. Mm -hmm. And whether they decide to go into graphic design or not, it's very helpful to give them the confidence, you know, and and know how to design a website, you know, make business cards so that they have a lot of options available to them. And then we also help them decide what their next step is, if they want to actually go to college, you know, get an associate's degree, earn some certificate, or if they're going to go and start working in another job. You know, your organization is so fantastic with what it does, and, you know, in spite of the challenges of this year. I mean, five decades is an amazing thing in what you've been able to accomplish. My question is, across the state, has there been the availability for people to know about what you provide for everyone? I'm not talking about just in the the uh, Mexican-American communities, but like everybody. Does everyone know that you guys exist so that they know that they can turn to you for not only help but also contributions? I would say that we were a well-concealed secret, you know. For, <laughs> yeah, for what you mean. 45 years. I've actually been with the organization for three and a half years. And I uh, came from another organization where I, I spent a lot of time on marketing. And even though my primary role is to raise money, we began uh, rather aggressively trying to get the word out, you know, to people, first of all, in the Houston community, yeah. but, but also statewide. Uh, so that they know about the services. I think word of mouth is how, you know, all of these families have come to us. We serve about 94% Hispanics, and it's not Mexican-Americans. It's people from, you know, 30 different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have retained the name, but that's why we developed this this name of AMA uh, that we use, just because we are inclusive and um, we serve anyone who needs, you know, our help. And we're actually serving in Houston about 30 zip codes. So it's all over the city in the last couple of years, particularly with this new work and learn center. 
But we do want people to know that it is a challenging year. And, you know, one of the uh, unfortunate things that happened, uh, because we do get a lot of government funding, we lost the funding for our inpatient treatment. We had a um, residential facility for young men, you know, who really need that added support because they don't have the support in their, their home, unfortunately. Um, so we had one at the, our main campus, and we also had a facility for girls, uh, adolescent girls, in San Antonio. So we have had to close those two facilities because we have to make up the money that we lost the grant money and um, are trying to figure out, you know, the, how we're going to do that. So mm-hmm. if there's anyone in your listening community who might be able to provide some support, um, we really need to to be able to provide those services, particularly now, because they are so needed. Can you give us an email address right quick while you brought it up? Because there are people who are listening who could actually help. Yes, thank you so much. And again, if you want to learn more about our organization, our website address is aama.org, O-R-G. That's easy. I'm sorry? That's easy. Yes. And so my email address, I'll give you my personal, it's dortiz, O-R-T-I-Z, at aama.org. And I would love, um, you know, to talk to anyone who might have some suggestions. Obviously, we do reach out to the corporate community and foundations and individuals. And there have been several who have stepped forward in the last year to help with the just extraordinary needs that we have faced, uh, trying to provide the services that our families require. You know what I found out um, during this pandemic, especially um, with the crisis, first with the uh, with COVID and then with the social justice movement that happened over mm-hmm. the summer. There are so many individuals that want to help each other. And yeah. it's, it's all about being relevant. And social media has made a lot of different groups relevant. You, you, you know, people can access you through social media. Have you found that um, I know because you had a marketing background, have you found that um, the younger people involved with your organization can communicate, like you said, uh, even more so with social media? Yes. Another thing that we did was just expand tremendously um, our social media presence. There you go. Our families use Facebook primarily. Uh, we do also, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so the the adult ed- education students are the ones who really just have, have poured into that, as well as our prevention and counseling clients. So we have five different pages, actually. If you, you know, someone wants to check us out, we, it's AMA, A-A-M-A, Inspires is our primary one, but the charter school has their page, our prevention and counseling services. You know, this is how they talk to their, their clients and their students. And then uh, we also really expanded our website so we could begin providing added services initially, you know, to educate them about the COVID um, coronavirus so that they would know how to protect themselves and also to provide the services that the parents and the students need so that they can, you know, take the classes and succeed. Can you talk again about how large the organization is? Because, again, it's all over the state based out of Houston, but you've got different locations and so many people involved. Yes, you know, it grew from this very small, I mean, uh, one of our founding um, 
founder, he was a board member at the time, you know, when I was speaking to him, he said they were serving 13 children in 1970 when they began this organization. And again, they were incorporated in 1970, and it has just grown by leaps and bounds. We actually estimated that we have served a quarter of a million people in the last 50 years, and it's 10,000 individuals, uh, as you said, across the state. Most of our services are in the prevention and counseling area statewide. And then in Houston, we have six different locations uh, for the prevention counseling, for the two charter schools, and the adult ed, and that work and learn center that I mentioned earlier. So we have been very aggressive. In fact, this year we, you know, we came up with a strategic plan a couple of years ago, and we still are heading toward this, but we've had to kind of put it on hold. We wanted to open a third campus, and we were even looking at adding elementary school, which is not something we've currently done. So as soon as we can reposition ourselves, you know, and get through this pandemic and all of the, the challenges that we've had this year, we will continue to work on that, as well as... We aspire to begin a career and technical uh, center. We're calling it kind of an academy at this point, but that requires a lot more funding than we currently have. And we're, you know, a big uh, multi-million dollar organization, but mm-hmm. uh, we'd practically have to double to be able to meet the needs of the community and provide those additional services that we aspire to. And I think, you know, we're very resolute in trying to continue to grow so that we can help more individuals. You know, as you said, people all across Houston would benefit from our services. We know that, and we're only hampered by the amount of um, dollars that we have available. Have you been getting a lot of requests out of the Rio Grande Valley? Because I know there's a lot of struggle situations there because of COVID. Yes, uh, Laredo, I mentioned that we expanded our services there. We, We were fortunate. Um, three years ago, this gets back to your question earlier about you know what we're proud of, what we've accomplished. Three years ago, we actually got several SAMHSA grants. I don't know if who's familiar with those, but we got 4.25 million to expand those substance use treatment services that we provide, and we just also got a $200,000 additional grant to expand the services in Laredo because the COVID pandemic is really bad there. And, you know, when you're going through a crisis, even under the best of situations, if you have resources available, it's, it's hard. But if you have substance use issues, you know, that's when you really, really need um, some one-on-one support and people helping you. And so we're proud that we just opened, we had a ribbon cutting two weeks ago. Nice. But, I'll go right ahead. I was just saying nice. Oh, thank you. Well, I think, you know, there's just a whole lot that we've accomplished, and there's a whole lot more that we hope to do. And um, we're, as I said, we're only hampered by the resources that are available. And we've had to make some really hard decisions this year to put some things on hold so that we could provide those basic essentials for our family. Can you talk about some of the things you mentioned in Houston, Rio Grande Valley, and San Antonio and Austin? Can you talk about some of the things that are going on here with you guys at AMA in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? We are actually not located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Time to expand. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we do serve uh, through those two residential facilities that I mentioned, 
that you know we're we're here in Houston and in San Antonio, we serve um, kids. I call them kids, adolescents from all over the state. So it's not mm-hmm. you know only in those two counties, but it's basically related to our funding. If we're getting funding from foundations or you know different individuals in certain cities, that's where we're able to provide the services. And we, when we started our strategic plan uh, three years ago, we really looked at, you know, what differentiates us, what are we best at, and, right. you know, how can we best serve the community? And we took a very focused approach because we know that we have been serving the Latino community for 50 years, and we know how to do it really well. We're, you know, like the, the, the largest provider of prevention and counseling services for Hispanics in the state and we do it in a very um, culture, culturally sensitive way, and we offer bilingual services. And, you know, certainly we can offer those services beyond our immediate community, but that is really what makes us, um, it's a feather in our cap, I would say, <laughs> and the reason uh, that we're such a great organization, because we're all passionate about helping the people who need it the most. You have been a wealth of information on this topic. I want to make sure that because there's a lot of corporate and individuals who have access to, you know, funds. I want to make sure that they know how to get in touch with you because they're always trying to expand their footprint. Sometimes they hear certain organizations and they always take care of them over and over again. But, you know, in 2020, a lot of people are trying to expand their footprint and do more for different groups. Can you once again let everyone know how they can get a hold of AMA? Thank you so much. You know, I, I really think that this is an opportunity for us to move forward once we get through this, you know, and that's what we're trying to do is position our organization so that we can do even more as, and to continue, you know, to work just as hard but also as smart as we can. My um, phone number is 713-929-2322. And again, it's Debbie Ortiz, D Ortiz at AAMA.org. O-R-G. And I would be happy to talk about any you know, possible partnerships or um, opportunities that you might have. And if you're listening and if you're willing to help out, AMA is the leading nonprofit organization in Texas working with Latino families to achieve financial security, well-being and self-actualization. AMA was founded in 1970 by a group of students, business people and teachers who came together to address key issues in the community, including drug abuse and school completion. Today, this nonprofit serves over 10,000 individuals annually across Texas through charter schools, prevention and counseling services, adult education, and other community services. This is their 50th year anniversary. If you want to do something special, now is the time. And again, the website, because people like to look at the website and say, oh, Mm -hmm. this looks nice. Yes, that is AAMA.org, O-R-G. And you can see some uh, video clips of our students and our clients and, um, you know, just get information about all of those five programs that we offer from our website. Debbie, it's been a pleasure. We cannot thank you enough. And happy anniversary, 50th anniversary again for AMA. Thank you so much. We're going to continue celebrating until next October. So (laughs) thank you so much. I appreciate being on the show. Yes, no problem. I'm sure by October, most people will have the vaccine and you'll be able to blow it out like you always do.
that's what we want. We want to dance that night. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. That's All Debbie right. Ortiz, Chief Development Officer at the Association of Mexican-Americans, AMA, who just this past week celebrated their 50th anniversary. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living.